Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Can we do a two-minute stop down? I want to make sure we hit Cam Newton the right way, that we, that we set this up. Yeah, sure. The right way. And I'm hold on a second. I'm going I'm to hit the head yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. That is a weekly thing with Hall Burmeister. Right. You know, they always say when you get older, it's hard hard to control your bladder. I mean, apparently you're having some of those weekly, problems. Weekly is an exaggeration. Uh, it's kind of yes. like when you're driving somewhere with your kids. You right. stop and get lunch. You're like, right. kids, you may, as well, you may as well go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. If we're going to make sure we got a topic correct, you know, you well, might well, as well take advantage. I think you want to make sure the topic is correct. That was all a bunch of bullshit so you could go pee. No, uh, no, no. I didn't fleece you. All right. All right. No fleece. I want this. I have no problem with that being a regular thing half on the time, podcast. A halftime break. Yeah, like an hour. I mean, we usually go an hour in 30 minutes yeah i understand you've made a drive in here to work That's right so you might have some fluids in you <laughs> and if we do do it i want to just keep it live and just you have you walk off okay. and walk back i mean people go to the bathroom yeah yeah they look behind the curtain fuck there they are they go to the it's bathroom still a preseason right it's still the preseason right. so we'll see once we get to week one if it's still a thing okay still practicing okay getting up to speed i'm all right so we're 11 yeah. 21 a.m on a wednesday afternoon uh, and I'm guessing around after Mike Ryan, who we're going to have here, and I'm going to explain yes. who Mike Ryan, a great guest, yeah. who's going to really give us some inside info on some of the big injuries around the NFL. Yeah. Was one of the was the lead trainer for the New York Giants for a long, long time. Known knew him, you as a kid. Knew me as a kid, right? And of course, he works for NBC. So it just makes sense. So we're going to have him. But I'm saying after we get done with him, you're going to have to go to the little boys' room again. Okay? <laughs> Probably a good call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing good, good? man. Yeah, doing good. Good game on Monday night. Good game on Monday night. Good I mean, quarterback stories out of there. Exactly. I mean, that's you know that, that's the one thing I've enjoyed about you know, the preseason altogether. We've had a good amount of starters playing, and mm-hmm. of course, we got enough quarterback drama that it makes it worth the while to watch deep into these preseason games. Or sometimes you're like, damn. Most of these guys aren't going to be on the team. I don't really want to watch, but it's my job to watch, so I'll keep watching. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think we're uh, we're going to hit the current quarterback topics here today by using a ask me anything always yeah, a baby. fun part of the pod AMAs. inviting in all, all the uh all the questions via twitter and kicking off each one of the quarterbacks that way yeah cool i like it yeah let's hit it. i mean there's there's so much stuff player evaluations things going on in the nfl honestly it's hard to fucking talk about it all right even in an hour and a half podcast i know i mean i look at things and go damn we haven't hit this yet damn i'd like to talk about this these few rookies in here and it's just it, it's hard right now you have but so I'm many, enjoying it you have so many vehicles to do so you, yeah you, you talk with mike for two hours every day yes i do. do you do you get done with that show and think gosh 
There was more. Uh, there was more to hit. There, yeah, every now and then. I mean, I'll tell you, most of the time I do. I might go, damn, I wish that segment was a little longer. We could have unpacked that. Or I think we could have hit this subject today instead of talking about that yeah. subject. But, yeah, I got the podcast. You know, yeah, I, I mean, I talk all day, so I end up hitting <laughs> it at some point. <laughs> well, we kind of brought it up already, the Monday night game, New Orleans-Jacksonville. Let's start there. Great quarterback stuff to come out of that one. I know yeah. we were anxious to look at the, the Taysom Hill-Jameis Winston battle. Right. Uh, Jameis played very well. Taysom played okay. Yeah. And then you have the Trevor Lawrence thing on the other side. Right. So the question to, to start this one off from Michael Heim, he says, is the apparent improvement for Jameis in New Orleans, and he was 9 out of 10, yeah. more of a change in coaching or getting a chance to learn from Brees? No, I, well, I, it's both. I think it's both. I'm going to give the change in coaching more than anything. But the, the Breeze, Breeze factor is just adds polish and professionalism, and this is what you have to do if you want to be really good in this league for a long time. So he got to see that. But Sean Payton is the one that, I mean, hey, he taught Breeze. I mean, he's going to be able to really teach you offense, teach you things about certain plays and how to read it, where Jameis is going to go, wait, I, I didn't. That's how you read it? Man, mm-hmm. that's unbelievable. Oh, wait, you're doing this formation. Oh, for this reason. I always wondered what the reason was behind that. So there's logic and answers behind everything. And Sean has a great way from everything I know and just being around him a little bit of like, being hard on the quarterback, but also like I'm your buddy. It's yeah. like you got a great way of kind of toting that line there. And I think, you know, ultimately I think he's the perfect guy for what Jameis needed. You know, I, I actually hit this with Mike the other day on PFT. Like, you know, he went to Bruce Arians and company. It was no risk it, no biscuit. That, that was the fucking last thing he needed. <laughs> that, I mean, he's got plenty of fucking biscuits, yeah. right? He right. didn't – he was risking it too much, always looking for biscuits – and all of that. So this is like, whoa, rain it in. We got a good team. We're going to be efficient. We're not just going to fucking throw a ball just because it's third and 12 and we got to fucking throw it because you got to make the first down. Sometimes the defense wins. Take the sack. Throw the ball away. Take the check down. Maybe your good player, Alvin Kamara, makes a guy miss and gets the first down. You know, when he was in Tampa, it'd be like four guys hanging on him. He still tried to throw the ball 30 yards down the field, like no risk it, no biscuit. Well, yeah, you risked it, risked it, and <laughs> you got no fucking biscuit and got your, son, your ass out of, out of town. So right. uh, I definitely give Sean Payton, you know, a lot of credit here. And, hey, Jameis has got talent. And yes, now he he's, he's refining him, which is really cool to see. And he also has a bunch of experience, five years as a starter, seven years in the league. So we always think about like a, a young quarterback coming in the league and, oh, he's so lucky to be in that building. They have that veteran quarterback. But when you have five years as a starter and you go sit and watch and you're back up to a guy like Drew Brees, think about how much more you absorb. You're, you're able to let that Definitely. sink in and notice the nuance when you've started 60 or 70 games right. yourself already. You know the game already. You're not so worried about, oh, i got to learn every play because you it's know like it. You've been around. It's the perfect time to learn, and a lot of guys don't get that chance to no, learn. you're right. It, it really is the perfect time. You're right because he doesn't have to worry about all the other things. He knows how to, like like you said, he's got experience playing. He doesn't have to think, like, wait, can I go out there and do this? Can I do like None of that's in the back of your mind. You know, he's been around football enough to know, like, okay, yeah, and he treated, you know, Peyton taught me new nuances of the offense, but he's not, like, flooded with information because he's five, six years into the league, like you said. Uh, so, yeah, that was exactly what he needed. Really, listen, I, I'm, you know, again, I really thought it would be Taysom Hill yeah. to start the year. I did. I thought just because he was Sean Peyton's pet, pee, you know, pet 
project. And, right. and I thought maybe Sean Payton, because I had heard rumors that he was kind of intrigued of like the Taysom sure. Hill offense and all those type of things. But, you know, from what you hear as far as Taysom Hill got off to a slow start in camp, Jameis, the way he's played, especially the other night. And, you know, I think the other thing that I, I kind of hear continually throughout there, too, is they just don't want to move Taysom Hill also out of the role he's been in. He's too important with that H-back, fullback, right. slot receiver type thing, the occasional wildcat quarterback thing. I think that'll be a part of the offense still with Jameis Winston, a quarterback. So uh, they might have the best of both worlds here. And, man, Jameis, just one more thing here. Yeah. When he was a free agent out of Tampa, and I know we might have talked about this, maybe it was Ahmed. There was a handful of coaches in football that were seriously intrigued by James. Of course. I mean, that, that kind of talent, that kind of experience. There were so yeah. many good plays on film to where you went, man, this is really special. And, of course, we just had all the other bad ones. And, you know, of course, some of these coaches, they all think they can coach it out of them. I can th- right. get, let me get right. my hands on them. I'll fix them. Right. But he actually got to the guy that can, can really fix them. And I want to point out, too, even though there were 30 interceptions his yeah. last year as a starter in Tampa, I went right. back and looked. He wasn't in the 20s any time before that. He was in the teens and a couple times in the low teens. So, yes, that was an awful year in terms of taking care of the football, but it was kind of a one-year thing. Yes. He was a, a, a risk taker, and he wasn't ever going to throw six or seven picks like a lot of the guys. But he wasn't in the 20s until that last year he threw 30. That, well, I, I, that's the point. That's, exactly, I mean, that's a great way to button it up here because that's where, I, you know, when I went back, quarterback rankings, doing all that, that was the one thing that Jenna jumped out to me to, too, to just go – you know, no risk it, no biscuit was not the proper thing for him at that no, point. He didn't no. need that. He was already risking it and eating too many biscuits at that point. You know, he needed to, you know, no no risk it, no avocado ice cream like Tom Brady did. And <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that worked better. I mean, he had a little Phillip Rivers to his game. Like, even in his good seasons, he's going to have 13 or 14 picks. Definitely is. Too many chances. But, yeah, hopefully he's learned. Other side of that game, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, he was 14 out of 23, 113. Not the not the performance that they wanted. Again, only preseason, but it was a pretty average outing. At RU Easy says, it feels like Trevor is waiting for receivers to get open. Is that an issue with scheme or wide receivers getting separation? Does he need to anticipate better and throw them open? Yeah, well, first off, I am easy. Yes, when my wife says she wants some, I say, sure. <laughs> I am some very easy. Not Are you up easy? Any fight? Yeah, no fight there. I'm very easy. <laughs> Welcome to Chris Sims Unbutton. Okay, but the... the um, I think it's a little of everything he said right there. You know, it's a total rebuild there in Jacksonville. You got a lot of new moving parts. Of course, the rookie quarterback. They're trying to figure out the offensive line. There is young receivers or even new receivers to the scheme and Marvin Jones and people that, who are learning the offense. Urban Myers learning his way in the NFL here on the fly. So there is a lot of things where, yeah, it's not perfect in that world right now. You know, I don't, I'm not concerned with Trevor at all. I'm really not. I mean, physically, he belongs. I can see it. His movement for his size is Agreed. still very special. Yeah. His arm is definitely good and great. You know, no. You know, the, they they got to help him around him. Okay, and here's a re- and and the second thing I want to say. Part of that that question there is this is part of the reason I made him my second quarterback. He was not as NFL-ready as everybody thinks he was. That's why I kept saying during the process, it's a, he was in very college offense. It was very simple. Throw this screen. Fake it to ATN. This guy's running the post. This guy's running a go route. Throw it to one of the fucking two guys. Mm-hmm. It, was very, it just wasn't NFL football. So I always thought there would be a little bit of an adjustment there. you know. And that's also where I argue at times where – 
I don't know. Sometimes it might be better to be on the lesser team, and I got to do more and play the game, yeah. you know, the right way, as compared to him, where he was like, "We're the best team. I can mess up. Life's simple, right? You know, we're going to win the game no matter they what." They were so much better, especially so much at better. skill position. Right. They, they line up against Georgia Tech or NC State or Syracuse. It wasn't even close. No, there's two games a year. So I think that's a great point right. to bring up. That you know, in terms of going to the next level and being ready. I mean, going 14 out of 16 for 300 yards isn't necessarily going to help you. No, exactly right. NFL. Right. You know, I think you just, you know, that's where I got to it. Where I went, mm, you know, a few inconsistent throws that I always talk to you about where I was just like, he's too good to miss that throw. Yeah. And then added to the college offense and those type of things, you know, for lack of a better phrase, he was he was a little spoiled at Clemson. First class problem to have. First class pro- it, problem it, it to it have. Is, it is kind of an issue right now for him. Well, yeah, it's just he's going to have to learn on the fly. But I have no doubt he can do that. That and all those things, you know, I think it's all of that almost too about, yeah, throwing the guy open. Yeah, because most of the times the guy was open at Clemson, so he never had to throw anybody open. So he's learning that. You know, the pocket, most of the times the pocket was clean in Clemson. That's probably the biggest thing I've seen so far is he doesn't have a great feel of when to step up, when to kind of slide and move. We saw a little bit better of that the other night a few times where I went, there you go, Trevor. That's how you do it. He threw a play-action crosser about 15 or 20 yards down the field. Guy had to kind of go down to get it. But he made the right move in the pocket to keep himself in the throwing position to make that type of throw. So, you know, again, I'm not looking for results here with young players. I just want to look. The look test is big for me. Does he look the part? Is he overwhelmed? Is his talent what I thought it looked like in college and everything? And I have no issues with that. There's a lot of other issues around him, too, that are going to make him not look like the number one pick all the time right yet. As to those issues that are around him, I think I heard you and Mike talking about this the other morning when I had you guys on. But there is a a discussion out there, and these kind of discussions pop up in August during preseason, that maybe because the team isn't that good around him. Now, no Travis Etienne, wonderful threat out of the backfield, great runner. He's out for the season with a foot injury. Do you buy into it all that let's let Gardner Minshew start this thing off? And Trevor, you just sit. We'll get you in eventually. But don't give him the team right away. Yeah, I, I do think there's something to this. You know, Urban Meyer, and one of the reasons I think he can work in the NFL is he's not the X's and O's guy. He knows X's and O's. I'm not trying to say that. He's an overseer, you know. Wait, we're not talented enough for this position. we got to get better here. All right, let's get these guys, blah, blah, blah. Hey, I don't know what you call that play there or whatever, but we need to do more of that, and this defense is weak here, so we need to attack that. That's the kind of guy he is. That's how Jimmy Johnson was. So that's where I think like it can work here. There's no doubt about it. Where was I going to go with this point there? Um, I had something else we I wanted. We were want- talking about the potential of Gardner starting oh, instead that's of right, Trevor. Oh, right. So, so with that, you know, Yes, you know, by the way they talked on the telecast and things like that, and that's where I brought it up to Mike on PFT on Monday. I think mm-hmm. that's where you heard Tuesday yeah. after the game. And I just went, Mike, I don't think this is about, like, is he better than Gardner Minshew? He's better. I don't, you saw the game the other night. Even though it wasn't pretty, I know he's better than Gardner Minshew. Right. You know, I know that. I got a lot of respect for Gardner. I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything like that. But I also think he's worried about Joe Burrowing Trevor Lawrence. Mm. With just, the, the, he's going to have no 
break, no governor. If they're down by 20, he's going to fucking try to bring them back and scramble and maybe put himself in you his see body. Him running? That's what I mean, putting himself in a bad position. Yeah. So you got to save him from himself to yeah. a degree. Yeah. And, you know, that's where Cincinnati messed up. They just kept going, Joe Carrius, Joe Carrius, Joe Carrius. Well, now Joe doesn't have a leg, and he can't <laughs> carry you for fucking shit, and you're right. in trouble in a big year for Zach Taylor. And I think that's where Urban Meyer's being smart. He wants to make sure the team's ready before he throws Trevor Lawrence out there into the fire. Because if he does hurt a shoulder or a knee, he knows it's going to screw up his whole plan, his career, the organization, and everything. And that's where I think it's smart. He's in a very tough situation. Out of all the rookie quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence is in the toughest spot. Because the team around him? Just the team around him. The coach is learning on the fly. I don't sit there and go, oh my gosh, it's the greatest offensive coordinators in the world, and those type of things too. So, yes, he's in, he's in a tough spot where you know they're trying to get it together as a complete organization. He's not getting to be you know, Patrick Mahomes and taking over right. a playoff team. We've talked about Travis Etienne, foot injury out for the season. You also mentioned Joe Burrow. Yeah. Uh, we all wonder about how the knee is. We'll talk with Mike Ryan, former athletic trainer in the NFL, about that here coming up in just a little bit. Let's move on to Tua. Yeah, and cool. I enjoyed watching the Dolphins the other night, or the, the other afternoon, and then yeah. watching it back again. Right. He looked pretty good. Yes, uh, he did. His numbers here, let me find him. He was 16 out of 23, 183, one touchdown, and no picks. More than the numbers, you talk about passing the sight test. Look the part, right, for most Does. of the game. Agreed. At RU Easy says, it feels like Trevor, pardon me? I am easy. <laughs> I was just so intrigued by the easy part. <laughs> I was hoping that uh, somebody else easy made the next uh, inquiry. But this is at Joe Forty. 24 you can do what you want with that yeah in a moment how long does miami realistically give Tua before they have no choice but to look in another direction a tiny bit tone deaf based off of the one game he just played yeah because he played pretty well yeah no you know listen i think there is there was concern with Tua and all that the the sean watson rumors and all that were real i I don't need to speculate i know i've been saying this all spring if deshaun watson was made available they were going to trade for him now it didn't happen and for Tua's sake good thing he has definitely improved. He's been phenomenal in both preseason games. I mean, phenomenal. He had the one bad interception against the Bears yep. down the middle of the field. And, you know, he'll learn his limitations and things like that. You know, do I ever think Tua's going to be Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers? No, I don't think he's going to be that. But do I think he can win games and you can get to the playoffs and the Super Bowl with Tua? You know, I, I do. I think so. I don't think they're going to ask him to make the team all about him. The Dolphins as a team, pass the look test. Mm-hmm. To me, they look like early 2000 Patriots, 89-90 New York Giants type of football teams where yeah. they're big across the line, they're fast where they need to be, and they execute, they understand situations. And I am excited about that. But as far as Tua is concerned, like you said, the look test, I think there's first off the movement in the pocket and the feel in the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Let's look through that. Yeah, let's yeah. do that, Paulie. Let's let's check this out. So the movement in the pocket and just the feel and the subtle slides and everything like that are phenomenal. And Keep this is the most ahead. recent preseason game against Atlanta a couple yep. days ago. Atlanta, and they dominated Atlanta. I mean, it, it was did. an ass whooping. Yeah. It really was. So here we go. Start the. Let's go to the next picture. Shotgun. We got a third and six here. Yep. And Tua's got the ball. Yeah. Okay. You know. Pretty, pretty top of his drop, pretty good pocket. He's okay here, right? So let's go to the next picture. You see Gasecki down the middle. But look at this. You know, good feel, slides to the left. He's not tucking the ball going, oh, I got to run. This is getting scary in here. Mm-hmm. He's two hands on the ball. Eyes are still down the field. He realizes 88 Gasecki in front of him is 
going to be open if he runs the route the proper way. Right. So he's, he's like, him. fuck that. I'm not going to get off this guy. Mm-hmm. Because if he, what Gasecki's doing right now is straightening up the defender to make him run upfield, and then he's going to cross over the field to get the separation. So let's go to the next picture. And as you can see, there goes Gasecki. But this is the point I want to make more than anything. I don't think Tua last year throws this football. Mm. I think Tua last year is like, <gasps> they were way more open in Alabama. Yeah. I don't want to throw this. You think he wouldn't have found a way to maneuver in the Maybe pocket? not either. He might have panicked a little bit yeah. and decided to run or tuck it or just get out of the pocket altogether. And I'm sure they showed him some Brady tape. I mean, that's all New England guys down there. Godsey, and that's where Brady's amazing. But then look at the throw. You know, Tua does have a quick release, mm-hmm. and he's got a bunch of different deliveries. You know, he really does. Yeah, it's not the most powerful arm in the world, but he can make every throw. And that, I mean, that was impressive. And that's yeah. the one thing that I think's popped out to me more than anything. You can see he's more comfortable. He knows where he wants to go with the ball. There's more of an aggressive mindset. Yes. And yeah. he's not afraid to pull the trigger into a tight window now to go, wait, no, that's open in the NFL. It's tight, but that's, yeah. that's open. i got to get it done. And he had a really similar type play on the touchdown pass a couple of moments later where he had to move in the pocket a little bit and throw again. So here we go. I think yeah. this is just a play or two later, Chris. It is. I think it, it, it is. It's two plays later. Here we go. We got second and goal, right? You, you could see Atlanta's got like a four across look uh, right across the goal line. Go ahead. Let it go. This is also another great play. You know, first off, four across, seven dropping, right? You know, man, there might not be a chance for me to really throw the ball into the end zone and make the throw. But where he makes the play is he reads it through. And what I mean by that is he looks for the throws in the end zone. He doesn't go, oh, wait, they're playing a prevent defense. Let me just check it down. You know, his, his fact that he still tried to stay aggressive, maybe a corner falls down, maybe a safety falls down, that pushes the defense back even more. Mm. And then there's the rhythm. Let's go to the next picture, Petey, where, again, here we go, stepping up in the pocket, and he has to step up aggressive here. As you can see, like two shoulders yeah. are a parallel line of scrimmage. And he gets up. Okay, and let's go to the next one. You see there, avoids it, still has two hands on the ball. For a big quarter, for a smaller quarterback, very important. Come on, we don't want fumbles to be a part of the thing. But then he knows, okay, I got my back against this coverage against a linebacker. And I looked downfield and gave it a chance and did all those things. And then, you know, unlike a, let's say, a Trey Lance who we talked about on Monday, he always throws the appropriate ball in these type of throws. That's what I love, too. He's not going to throw a 105-mile-per-hour fastball right. where you're going to go, well, the fucking running back can't catch that. Right. Like, that's not fair to him. You're in a mosh pit of people. He can barely see you, and now you're going to throw it 105 miles per hour. It's no just chance. not fair. Yeah. He has a great way of just kind of touch-flicking it, spins it nice, puts it in the spot where the guy can get it, doesn't have to stop or break stride, and, and boom, it's a touchdown. And there it is. There a, it is. A couple of things about that. Number yeah. one, what I really liked – the point you made about him being aggressive with the aggressive mindset, yeah. the maneuverability and the shiftiness in the pocket, making that look easy was wonderful. But he started out in the first quarter and Atlanta was giving him the underneath, but it was just dink after dink after dink. I'm like, okay, I know this is working. I know you're moving the ball. I've seen this before. I know. I want, I want to see him push it downfield. Right. And it was almost like a progression. First quarter got over. Okay, I'm warmed up. And he started doing things like that in yes. the second. And right. Like, that's what I want to see. This Mitch Trubisky... 12 completions for 45 yards thing yeah, like, right. isn't going to work. Right. And I, after watching it, I looked up a couple things from last year. He was 30th in the NFL for quarterbacks and yards per attempt. Yeah. 
thirtieth. Yeah. And like, okay, some schemes are more aggressive than others. Sure. But at some point, it's on the quarterback exactly. for pushing it down the field a little more. Yeah. And he's completed twenty four passes in the preseason. He's well over ten yards per completion. Only preseason. Yeah. But, but to still. me, what I'm seeing. Uh, in the little sample size I've seen, here's a guy who's willing to push it downfield and the intermediate parts of the field a little bit more. Yeah, I think so, 100%. I think we had some conversations last year where I went, listen, they're running the same plays with Fitzpatrick and Tua. Right. Tua just not throwing it and making right. the right decision. I don't know what else to tell you. It's not like Fitzpatrick was coming in the game and they were going, let's call the good plays now. Yeah. No, Tua was running those too. He was not, you know, whatever, knowing the offense as well, as comfortable – you know, just you know, not wanting to pull the trigger you and all those type of things. You don't want to make a mistake when you're young. No, no. And you know, I think the other thing too, just you bring up because it, you know, yeah, early on it was checkdowns and short passes and all those things. But you said it right; they still moved the ball and all those type of right. things. And that's where you go, hey, okay, I'm fine with you doing it right there. They were kind of playing soft coverages and things like that. But what he did with the patience of doing that. All of a sudden, they started fucking going, okay, he's, he's patient. He's going to pick us apart here. Yeah. we got to start playing man-to-man and doing some things. And then he was like, well, fuck you. I could throw the ball 15, <laughs> 20 yards down the field, too. So it was good to see. I'm right. rooting for two. I know everybody thinks I hate the guy. Not true. Sorry. Not true. Just gave you an evaluation for the draft and things that concern me. You can't and, rate uh, every quarterback one or two. You can't have every quarterback in the top half of the league. I know. I don't really it's root a, against a, anybody a, a quarterback in two. So Tua's got out. such a great way. Uh, before we move him. on to the next one, yeah. one other thing. You, you. I forget your exact words, but you talked about Miami giving you a feeling yeah. of, of a team that's coming on. Yeah. You, you know what they are in their last twenty-five games under Flores, what? fifteen and ten. Mm. So it's not like they're just like barely around five hundred. They've been a nice team that just needs a quarterback. Yes. To be consistent, so they are right there. They're right there, and now you got you know, last year we just missed out on the playoffs. We went ten and six. You know, we know we belong. We got a few other pieces on the team. The one thing I listen, anybody that knows me, the first thing I look at always on a team is go offense, defense, line. I mean, they got fucking boatloads of offensive linemen and boatloads of big dudes on the defensive line and linebackers to go along with it. So there's never going to be a game or a team that they're outmatched up front. That's going to give them the fighting chance. And then you go, damn, okay, pretty good scheme, great scheme on defense, great corners, pretty good safety play. Oh, receivers are better this year. So they just have the look of a team that, again, I don't want to. I don't want to say playoffs because the AFC is real, and especially the AFC East. But mm. like, I just, I would be shocked if they're not again like last year, right there, last game of the year, in it, or maybe even in the playoffs. I think right. they're that caliber of team for sure. Let's go to the AFC North and yeah. kick off the Baltimore Ravens here. Lamar hasn't played yet. Uh, no surprise there, but. People are, you know, have been talking since really the last couple of seasons. Now the conversation kicking up again. Have defenses figured him out because they're kind of stuck in the postseason? And so we have some sound here from Lamar uh, asked if defenses are figuring him out at this point of his career. Some unnamed officials said that this is the year that people are going to be able to figure out Lamar Jackson. Have you heard? Did you hear that? Or what, what would your reaction be? I mean, I'm going to keep playing football. We're going to see. But I doubt it, dude. I doubt it. I strongly doubt it. We're going to play ball. 
You can see his reaction there when it came up. He's like, oh, man, yeah. not this again. I know. He's kind of a victim of his own success yeah. because they've been so good in the regular season and they haven't advanced in the postseason. I, it, That's you know, it. It, it. It's not fair. Like, even when I look on social media yesterday and some of that stuff, I just – the hate towards Lamar Jackson, I'm just like, what? Are you guys watching the same fucking game I'm watching? But there can be concern. Sure. Sure, there can be concern. You're right. He's still got to continue to evolve as a quarterback. They have to push him to evolve as well. But we're seeing that. Mm-hmm. We're, he's is doing that. You know, it's not about figuring out Lamar Jackson. It's not. They're, they're not going to figure him out. Right. He's unbelievable in the open field. He throws the ball really good. Okay, it's not great. He's one of the most dangerous open field runners in football. It is on the Baltimore Ravens to make sure they don't get figured out. That is the problem here. You know, that, that, that's what all good coaches do. you got to have the next move, the next thing to help the player, to support him what and do they those be type doing of things. Well, we've talked year. about just like, you know, there's probably got to be a little bit of change up to the run game and things like that. Everybody in the league's copied some of the things they do. You know, there's more running quarterbacks now than there was. So people are getting to see that every week in practice. Oh, with Taysom Hill we're playing this week. Oh, Kyler Murray we're playing this week. Oh, Josh Allen, he does it too. Oh, Cam Newton. The defenses are getting done with the year and going, we played six running quarterbacks this year who have all these Lamar Jackson plays. This is not like some shock of an offense anymore. Everybody's used to it. So it's on them to find the next piece. I do think they're trying to do that with, of course, bolstering the receiving group and all those type of things. Yes, I understand he has to evolve as a passer, but he's still good enough passer and everything else for them to have gone to the Super Bowl last year or do anything like that. You know, hey, their defense is allowed to dominate in some of these playoff games too. Man, they couldn't make a stop against the Titans a few years ago. You know, they were good last year against Josh Allen and the Bills, but not great. Okay, so, you know, they got a gazillion dollars on the defensive side of the ball. Let's do that. And then it's on the coaches to continue to evolve and – you know, bring the best out of Lamar, whether that's a continuing to push him in the pass game and continuing to give him advantages in the quarterback run game and run game together. You know, like that's what ha- all great quarterbacks have pretty much had that type of thing. Like, oh, we're used to the John Elway offense. We are used to it. Oh, my, he got Mike Shanahan. Now they're running the zone, the play action. Oh, fuck, they didn't figure out John Elway. No, Mike Shanahan gave you something else to go – John Elway is still awesome. Mm-hmm. We're just attacking you different, and you can't prepare like you used to. You don't know exactly what we're doing. Right. You know, Peyton, uh, Tom Brady, I mean, how many five times did they fucking evolve in New England? Defense, run the ball, manage the game, the first three Super Bowls. Now let's spread it out. We're going to Edelman, Randy Moss, and do all of that. Wait, the league's catching up. Let's get Gronk and Aaron Hernandez and go two tight ends and fuck everybody up that way. I mean, so that's what – it's on the coaches to find that next thing so he doesn't get figured out thinking about it being on the coaches and their scheme and how they evolve same offensive coordinator greg roman he's got consistency there yeah positive or negative that's the same well i like greg and a lot of the things he does i just want to i want to see more you know we talked about last year featuring marquise hollywood brown we saw a little bit of that in the playoffs and at the end of the season okay there we go you got to feature some guys got to make the defense be aware of like wait there's, there's this guy and now we got to change our game plan because they get it to him a lot so yeah i want to see him evolve you know I, I i saw people catch on to greg roman's offense in san francisco with kaepernick and all that to a degree they caught on 
You know, after people got used to the run game and things, they went, oh, wait, okay, we got the rest figured out. We're good, we're good, we're good. So, yeah, it's on him to push the envelope that way and then on their organization and Harbaugh and him as well to push Lamar and, and do those things as well. And I think Lamar wants to be great. And, you, you know, you said it. The expectation, I mean, it brings the team to the playoffs as a rookie. Number one seed the second year. MVP. Okay, they lost in the divisional and the MVP and lost in the divisional playoff game. Oh, my gosh, how dare. He's a bust. What a bust. He <laughs> lost the divisional playoff game and went 14-2 in the MVP. And then last year, you know, yeah, he had a deal with COVID. Okay, they were the hottest thing in football the year before. Teams, like I said, studied them. So it wasn't this highlight real year. It was still a really awesome year, and they won a playoff game. Right. And then they went to Buffalo, and Buffalo was hot. Had their number, whatever. Lamar made the one bad interception. I get that, but I think it's fitting that you brought up John Elway in this situation because it's throughout time, at least yeah. since I've been watching football, right. that it's it, the the question of why becomes louder and in all caps and with exclamation points when a team appears stuck, whether they're stuck on four and twelve or stuck in the playoffs right. like John Elway was, like Lamar Jackson's been for a shorter period of time than the Broncos were. But when they're in the same place and not advancing, whether it's why can't they go from poor to average, or why can't they go from great to number one? These kind of things come up. They, it's a real aspect of the game. You know, it gets back into this just new era quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. He's doing everything. He's coaching the team. He's coaching the defense. He's making the Gatorade in the locker room. I mean, fuck, they do everything now, apparently. They expect them to do everything. And that's where it's just not fair. Lamar Jackson is awesome, okay? Is he perfect? No. But you can certainly go to the Super Bowl and win with Lamar Jackson. Jared Goff just went to a Super Bowl, everybody. Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl. Blake Bortles went to the NFC Championship game, as you've heard. Nick Foles looked like a superstar in the Super Bowl, right? you got to have the support system around him. Jimmy Garoppolo, who is on a team that is doing everything they could possibly do to replace him and get him out of there, they went to the Super Bowl. Why? It wasn't because Jimmy Garoppolo was that amazing. Shanahan was always one step ahead of the game. Even when Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play well, the playoffs, for example, what did Shanahan do? Well, I'm just going to design more fucking run plays. We won't have to depend on Jimmy Garoppolo, and we'll get to the Super Bowl and figure it out there. It's on the coaches. they got to do it. Let's tie together the Baltimore situation at quarterback and the questions there with San Francisco. This is from at Greg Faced. First off, so glad you guys are back. How do you think Kyle Shanahan's run-first offense with Trey Lance will learn from Baltimore's offense, which always seems to falter come playoff time? What do Lance and Kyle have, to have that Lamar and Baltimore do not? I think at a base level, Shanahan's run offense – just from I'm talking about running back aspect, right? The pure traditional running back is way better than the Baltimore. I mean, Shanahan, it's the Shanahan scheme for a reason, right? I mean, fuck, they invented it. And they have a whole lot of things off of it. And where I would say it would be different, too, is, you know, yeah, Shanahan has also a history of unbelievable play action passes and bootleg design that. The Ravens don't have there. And that, to me, is where he has another element that I look at to go, eh, you know, if they can get Trey Lance and he can trust them and all those type of things, he could probably be more, more dangerous as a total offense. L Lance is not a Lamar Jackson. I just mm. would like to stop that. Doesn't move like that. Doesn't move like that. Lamar is like borderline fastest guy in the field. Trey Lance is fast, maybe in the top 10 guys in the field, but not the fastest guy in the field. That's the one thing that has jumped out to me about Trey Lance so far in the preseason a little bit.
You know, we talked about the throwing and all that, but he's not quite as fast as I thought he was. Mm. You know, and that's where the North Dakota State thing comes into person where you go, oh, well, yeah, that guy runs 4-9, and of course he turned the corner on him. And not as nuanced a passer. No, either. No, at least through two preseason. No, games. definitely not. Definitely not. Those were my concerns on the passing thing. I thought. I thought the running. We might see more scrambles and things like that to go. Oh, okay. At least he's got that. But as you can see, Justin Fields has a better feel for scrambling and another gear in his sprinting as compared to Trey Lance. Okay, let's move on to the Cardinals here and Kyler Murray. Yeah, hardly played at all against the Chiefs the other day. Mm-hmm. Was was in for a flash, went one out of four, two right. yards. I mean, not great numbers, but then he came out. At Plug and Play 16 asks, I was watching the Cardinals-Chiefs game. Couldn't believe how out of sync the Cards' offense yeah. was with most of the ones in besides Hopkins. Any reason to be concerned with Kyler and company going into year three with Cliff Kingsbury? Yes, there is. You know, you've heard me say for the last two years, I need to see more out of the Cliff Kingsbury offense. It's the same. I mean, we're almost talking about the same discussion. They got to do more to help Kyler out. The offense is a little too predictable, in my opinion. You know, the Red Raider shootout offense is just, it's too easy to break down in the NFL. There has to be more to it that way. And, you know, that's where I got to see more, you know, just from that aspect. Yeah, I, you know, as talented as they are on offense, and I'm sure, like, even statistically last year, they were a top 10 offense in football, but they weren't really a top 10 offense, in my opinion. They, you know, they kind of feasted on the week. And then when they had to play really good defenses, it was like, eh, yeah, your offense ain't that great. They it, got worse as the year went on. They so. got worse as the year went on, which always tells you people started to figure them out, got a good clue on what they do in certain situations, formations, route combinations, and all those type of things. So there's that aspect for sure. And then I'll say one thing about Kyler Murray for sure, too. Kyler Murray's got to be better on third down and throwing within the pocket. You know, you even saw that in the game there the other day. I mean, he just, you know, wants to get the ball out of his hands too quick at times. I think he's worried about his size and getting hit too hard and those type of things. But Kyler Murray, look it up, has been one of the lesser third down quarterbacks in football the last two years. That's because third down, there's the real, the bright lights go on. The defense ends go, wait, wait, okay, we talked about this all week. We're going to contain him and not let him scramble. Third down is usually an obvious passing situation. You might have a, a quarterback spy there, so he's not going to be able to do that. See, on first and second down, it's harder to do those type of things because the run is a real thing. You know, we can run the ball. We can run the read option. You know, we can run a quarterback design run. And these defender, the defense guys can't always play like, hey, we're going to play that thing where we contain him and we're going to have a spy on second and four. No, that's not going to happen then. There's too many things they got to worry about. They might pull a guard and run power with Kyler Murray. They don't want to be in a defense that's worried about, like, stopping him from scrambling and worrying about the passing thing. So between Kingsbury's got to get more – uh, extensive in his approach, I think, on third downs, be a little more creative with him that way. And he's got to be a little bit better in the pocket in those situations because, of course, anybody that plays them, that's all it's about. Right. Keep him in the pocket. Keep him in the pocket. You know, he is smaller. He, it is hard for him to see. And he is does seem a hair reluctant to get the ball out of his hands really quick because he's aware that he's smaller and doesn't want to get crushed, which is natural. Right. I'm fine with that. So, yeah, there's, I'm a little concerned with that. I am. I think we have some pictures of DeAndre Hopkins to take a look at here, Pete. There we go. Well, this is round three. Right. I mean, we hit on this last year a little bit. Like, What do you see here? Is this good, bad? I think really it's bad. You know, what I look at is the top right and the bottom right are the only ones I look at to go, well, yeah, there's I, that makes sense that the results were 9 for 136 and 7 for 127. 
I mean, of course, if you look at the bottom left, of course he got eight for 52. He ran fucking three routes. Then none of them passed 12 yards. Like, what do you think's going to happen? I mean, he's not like Houdini, Kyler Murray, or DeAndre Hopkins. So that speaks to what I'm talking about. And, of course, he's in the same spot most of the game. You know, so like a defense can repair and just go, wait, he's always on this side over here and we can play coverages this way and, you know, not have to worry about checks if he's somewhere else on the field and those type of things. They're making it too easy on the defenses when they play him. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you got me. I'm fired up a little this morning. I'm not trying to hate on no, but, Kingsbury or all that, but there's, uh, there's some things they got to fix for sure. But still, there's belief. I'm thinking back to the spring when we spent all those weeks talking about your top 40. Yeah. I think you, you had Kylo in the back part of your top I 10. I did. Yeah, so, I think seven, right? Maybe yeah, seven, seven, right? Yeah. Sounds right. right. I know you like him. I believe do. in him more than you doubt him. I do. Well, it's, it, again, it's almost like the Lamar thing. He's, he's not going to grow. He's not going to get 6'5", 230. He's, he's done growing. This is what he, he needs is. Needs his offense to grow. They need to grow. They need to help him. You knew what you were drafting, so you have to be ahead of the curve. What's the next thing going to be? What are you going to do? And that's where uh, I, at least that jumps out to me with with Arizona. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Okay, let's uh, let's turn the corner here from from just quarterbacks and what they've been up to in the preseason to some bigger questions here. Cool. Let's go with uh, rookie defenders at Duncan Eleven JD. Which rookie has the most sacks this year, and why is the answer Gregory Rousseau? Ooh, that's a good one. Rousseau, you know, the first game had a really good sack against Penny Sewell, but was not overly impressive the rest of the game. You know, second game, I didn't watch him specifically on film yet. But I watched the game live. I mean, he's a giant human being. And the one thing you know about it, one thing that's really popped out to me is for how big he is and his, he's got go-go gadget arms. Like, I mean, each arm looks like it's seven feet long. That he's just overwhelmed offensive linemen with, like, the punch into the chest. His arms are locked out. And his arms are longer than the offensive lineman, and they can't get him off him. And then they, he ends up pushing them back into the quarterback and getting the sack. So 
Hey, I, I, these guys, I've always said this. Him, Daniil Hunter was very similar to him coming up. I have a hard time evaluating those guys sometimes. Mm. And sometimes when they get in the NFL locker room and they look at the guy next to them, they go, wait, he's making 20. I, I, all I got to do is that and I can get $15 million a year? Well, fuck, I can do that. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Let me reassess here. And then, you know, you're around a coach who's calling you out in front of other alphas and all of a sudden you go, fuck, I better, you know, man the fuck up here for lack of a better <laughs> phrase and play a little tougher. I, that could be something that happens here. So do he wants to know also who I think is going to lead the, the sacks, right? As you're pondering here, yeah. Pete, let's go ahead and dial up the points bet defensive rookie of the year odds. We have yeah. some names up here. Micah Parsons yeah, got a lot of attention for how he's played in Dallas. Baller. Right? Yes. I mean, phenomenal. Owusu Koromoa's looked phenomenal. Yeah. You know, uh, Davis for Washington. I see the athleticism. My only concern is, again, just the pure physicality, which, you know, I, I want to see more of that. Quiddy Pay, man. Quiddy Pay has looked good, too. I mean, he had a sack last week. He pops to me when I watch them because he, I mean, he's just so explosive and so strong. He's like, he reminds me of James Harrison. That's who mm. he reminds me of so far. Where I go, oh yeah, all the measurables are not your Stout prototypical and explosive, right? Yeah. They're not your prototypical pass rusher, but he's just a different animal. Yeah, for for lack of a better way to say, Jalen Phillips just got in the swing of things last week. You know, Sertain, Zaven Collins have looked phenomenal. All those, okay. You know, I like I, I appreciate the question and, and Rousseau. He he could be that guy. We'll we'll see if he ends up starting up there or not. I'm gonna go with Quiddy Pay. I am. You know. Uh, for for this reason, first off, Jalen Phillips missed a little bit of training camp. That's all looking like it might be a little bit of a slow start. It's the New England system where they never let you just go around the edge and go get sacks all the time. They have rules to everything. So I don't know if he'll always get the green light, like maybe a quitty pay who's playing in that Seattle scheme where they just go, get real wide. And run right and at the go. quarterback. Yeah. And we don't give a shit about anything else. We got, we got linebackers that will fill in the run gap that you're going to leave behind. And from that, I think that's why I'm going to pick him. I'm going to pick him. And, of course, I think they're going to be a good team right. and probably put some teams in some must-throw situations. And here's my last piece of logic. They play the Texans twice and the Jags twice. That could be a lot of sacks. That could help. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> they play the Jags and Texans four times. I was going to say that's 25% of the games, but it's, 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 it's <laughs> no, not quite it's right anymore. Now. What is that, 22.5, I don't know. I can't that do that either. <laughs> okay, other side of the rookie thoughts here. Rookie regrets at C. Phil Bain Ooh. wants to know, I know we never want to overreact, but if there was one rookie on offense, one on defense, who you already regret ranking too low, who are they? <sighs> at least this is regret in a positive No, way. it is. It is. It is. Justin Fields right away jumps to me. You know, I made him six. You know, I'm, I'm looking like I'm going to be wrong on that one. He's, you know, again, I don't want to, you know, jump to conclusions. There's more, like I said, I want to see. Mm-hmm. But like, has he looked more impressive than Trey Lance for sure, or Kellen Mond for sure? There's no doubt. So, you know, that's one I'm doubting. Here's probably the number one answer though: Jalen Waddle of the Miami Dolphins, who I made the fourth receiver. Damn, I mean, he just. <laughs> He looks really good, right. and they have a niche in that offense that just fits him perfectly. So those would be two on the offensive side of the ball. Tell me more about the niche. The, just like, you know, not only the Tyree kills, speed sweeps, and all that type of stuff, but it's the New England offense, the niche of you could do the Wes Welker-Edelman stuff here mm. too. 
and be that great route runner that we get you the ball at six, seven yards, eight yards it's all the not time. Just the over the top, exactly. Defense. So they're going to have a real element of that, and then of course every now and then over the top. So I think that's probably the one on offense. Defense, I don't have one that jumps out to me as much. Rousseau has definitely crossed my mind here. I'll tell you here. Here's the one. Here's the one. Eric Stokes for Green Bay, the the corner that they yeah. dropped in the first round of Georgia. Who he didn't make my top five list. I think I, you know, he probably would have been six or seven for me. But from what I've seen to this point, he's been impressive. He looks like he's the real. I mean, good size. He's he's physical with receivers. He really competes, and he can break on the ball to where I go. Ah, he should have been in one of my top five corners. He was legit. How about the young defensive backs in Green Bay? I I know pretty good. They do. They got some. They got some things going there for sure. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think they're going to start him from get go. He certainly fits that scheme. You know, they're another team. It's going to be Seattle schemeish a little bit. So it's jam. And don't let him get over the top of you. And he's really fucking fast. So you're going to have a hard time getting over the top of him. And he's shown that he can kind of put the brakes on and break on the ball. You know, So that, I think those, that, that, those are the ones that jump out to me even more. Let me just check one more uh, group. I had one more name, I thought, on the defensive side of the ball that I was maybe um, – you know, Elijah Moore jumped out to me on offense. I mean, that's another one. I just uh, – maybe I should have had him a hair higher. All right, I think that's it. I think okay. those, I think we hit it. Let's stay with the rookie theme here. Javian Hawkins, somebody you liked during the during the pre-draft season out of Louisville, I yeah. believe. At CJ Easterday says, "What do you think about Javian Hawkins getting cut? The Falcons let him go. I know there's off the field issues, but it feels like he's so much more talented than the league is giving him credit for." I, I know. I, th- I think there's real off off the field issues. I, I mean, listen, there must be. He 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 popped the other night when I watched the game against the Dolphins. So I don't know what it is there. I don't. Now, their style of running back, they don't like that smaller type of guy. They want more of the Derrick Henry sledgehammer. But there's got to be more to the story than that. Of course. I, you know, I told you, I think, during the draft process, because, yeah, I made him one of my five run- best running backs. And, you know, of course, as we're going on, I'm just going, man, I don't see anybody talking about this guy. Right. He's not even on the radar. And I think I told you, I just I, – I, started to call on the league a little bit to friends, front office people, coaches I knew. It was like, what's the deal with this guy? You know, and I had a few go, I haven't even watched him. He's not on our board. And then I was like, well, you need to watch him. He's like like maybe the most explosive running back in the draft. But then they came back to me and they're like, well, we didn't watch him because he's like blacklisted from yeah. us. Like, so there's something there. I don't know the details of it, uh, and I don't know what's going to go on there. Um, so I don't know what to say, but um, – Hopefully he can get it figured out right. and, and get back on the right track. Here's a positive one. Breakout wide receiver. John Hassan says, hey, Chris and Paul, which wide receiver do you think will break out big time this season like Stephon Diggs did in Buffalo last year? Ooh. I think the first one that comes to my mind is Terry McLaurin. You know, and we're talking about like like Stephon Diggs was right around a thousand yards. It wasn't like he right. came out of nowhere. I mean, you know, they traded away a first round pick to get him. But I know what the guy's saying. Right. He jumped in the like, hey, we think he's a top tenish receiver. To now we're like, is he the best receiver in football? He jumped it up a notch. He jumped it sure. up a notch yeah. for sure. So I think McLaurin is the first guy I think about. And of course, with this too, the team has to win for yeah. you to jump on the scene. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I mean, even if Diggs had that year last year, and if they were like six and ten, people wouldn't really be talking about it the way they are right now. Yeah. But I think McLaurin's probably the first one that jumps out to me, and then I'm going to go with DJ Moore as being that other guy because yeah. I think both teams will be better, and I think they got better quarterbacks on both teams to kind of utilize or, or take advantage of all they have to offer. I, I considered this question because John mentioned my name. That was nice of John. And I thought about a team. I'm like, okay, what team has a nice scheme that's going to be a lot better yeah, this year? I thought right. about the Rams with Stafford going there and Van Jefferson. No doubt about who it. Who was that promising be, last yes, year. Yes, sir. You're right. That's a good one, Paul. It really is. You would think his numbers would jump up quite a bit. I would think so. I think he's going to I mean, be one of those three receivers on the field. Right. And they're going to they throw always, the hell out of it. They're going to throw it and run the ball, and they always find a way to get those three the ball. I mean, they're very good at that. That's a good one. Giants is the topic here at TFA Sapoon. Chase Claypool too. Let's not forget oh, yeah. it. That didn't he was promising last year. He was. I know. Sometimes I just overlook I thought about it going like, with you Pittsburgh. should know about him. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Thought about going with Pittsburgh just because Ben Roethlisberger ought to be a lot better right. than he was, especially at the end of last year. All right, Chris. We'll get to the Giants specifically later. Right now, let's go to our guest today, Mike Ryan, NBC Sports Medicine analyst and former NFL athletic trainer. Mike, Chris, and I know you very well, but for our fans out there who don't know you. Quite as well. Uh, explain to us your background and everything you've done with the NFL up to this point. Okay, Paul, good seeing you guys. And Chris, um, I was a head athletic trainer with Jacksonville um, for 20 years. And before that, uh, starting in 88, I was an assistant athletic trainer and physical therapist for the New York Giants. And uh, I retired from the Jaguars in 2014 and have been very fortunate to be on the Sunday night crew on the uh, NBC staff uh, since 2014. There's a lot of credibility tucked in there. What I hear, though, is at some point we get Mike on for Sim stories. Well, well, yeah, he definitely saw me running around the locker room as an 8, 9, 10-year-old, stealing gum, running into the trainer room with him and Ronnie Barnes being a, a crazy idiot as a little kid. So <laughs> Mike was always great to me, though, man. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. I remember those days well, Chris. You, uh, you were a speedster. I remember thinking, how can a kid this small with small hands like that at seven years old, throw a spiral for 40 yards. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was yeah. re- really impressive as a youngster, and uh, those skills were very obvious. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah, it it was, was good memories. It was nice of him to, to throw out that segue with the quarterback because we yeah. want to talk about Dak Prescott. Right. Cowboys being uh, pretty cautious with him, Mike. It's been almost four weeks now since he's practiced. He has uh, some kind of shoulder injury. What's your concern level? What are your thoughts about Dak missing this much time? Well, I think the concern level right now is moderate, to, to be honest with you, but he really not, has not been tested. I think you have to step back a little bit and look what he had with that uh, obvious ankle dislocation fracture, and it was an open fracture as well. So it was a very complicated injury. Did surgery immediately. They put a plate on it, put 10 screws, and what they call a tightrope, which kind of cinches the two bones of the shin together. So that was a very extensive injury, and he actually had a second surgery to kind of take out a bone spur and kind of clean up the ankle about two months later. So, so I don't think it's a coincidence that that being the right leg as a thrower, as you know, Chris, the back leg, I think that's a factor with what's going on and what we're seeing with that right shoulder. Yeah, that's good. To, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, I, I know I know Mike's heard me say this, and I do think Dak Prescott, because of that, I do notice some differences in his throwing motion. You know, So I can see that happening. Mike, so now off of that, you know, we hear the shoulder injury, the lat injury. I mean – did you ever have a thrower or anybody through your time with the Jags or the Giants ever have a lat injury or anything like this? I have, but Chris, it's not an unusual injury for certain football players, but it is a little unusual for a quarterback, and, and, and here's why. the Most of the mechanism with the throwing comes a lot with the rotator cuff, but people forget that the lat, 
lattice, short for latissimus dorsi, a big muscle in the outer lower back, and it wraps right through the armpit. And I, I think if you're not getting the power and the mechanics downstairs, so to speak, with the ankle, this being the right ankle, it will affect the shoulder. And with throwers and quarterbacks in the NFL that I saw that had this injury, it was usually when they were throwing a lot on, on slippery surfaces. Mm. Because if they're not getting the power out of the legs, they have to compensate and bring more to that aggressive internal rotation, if you will, from the shoulder. Uh, and you know, both both you guys being quarterbacks, you do that drill where you're on one knee, the right. down knee, and you're throwing. That's a very lat-dominating exercise because it takes the legs out of the equation. And the motion you do from both retracting the shoulder and the acceleration of the ball is very dominated by the latissimus dorsi. And I think in this case, with lat having with Dak having a change of the foot issues, it's not unusual that that lat will become symptomatic. And I think the way this played out is the fact they did his shoulder got sore, which you guys know isn't unusual for a coming back from an injury and during training camp. So they did an MRI of the shoulder, but you don't really look at the lat when you do a typical thrower's MRI, shoulder MRI. Right. So I think that's probably why they missed it. The symptoms were different. They had to go back and do a second MRI. So I, I think, like I said, this is a moderately concerning injury that I think the rest is going to play into getting him better and getting ready. I have no concern he'd be on the field for week one. But I think the big question mark is how will Dak's shoulder play up play out throughout the season, especially the more he has to throw on the run. Right. Because again, that's going to dominate the, not, not necessarily the shoulder joint, but the shoulder girdle, meaning all three bones of the shoulder. And that's going to really test that lap. Last thing on Dak before we move to some of the other guys, just to like with the, so I mean, I'm glad you're saying all this because I've kind of been saying this on TV and the podcast that I thought one affected the other, you know, but yeah, the shoulder you talk about, he hasn't been really tested and all those type of things. You know, I don't think he's moving quite the way because, like you said, with the ankle surgery. Like, how long do you think that'll linger? Or what point during the year do you think Dak Prescott and his ankle, he'll go, okay, I think I'm pretty close to 100% or right around it? Well, I think the ankle should be fully healed. Okay. Again, he, he's had plenty of time on that injury. Uh, Jim Maurer and the athletic training staff uh, with the Cowboys did a great job. Even right out of the gate, you saw him when he was on the field. They're already putting sterile gauze on that open wound. He did surgery right away. The concern we saw with Alex Smith with an open fracture like he had, right. this is a very different story. The infections uh, did not happen. So I think as far as the ankle and his ability to move and change direction and where it is and strength of the ankle, it, it should be 100% at this point. So I think it's, it's the rep issue in the volume that he has to do between now and week one that's going to set them up for the rest of the uh, the rest of the season. I, I think I see them as two different injuries. Yeah, but they're very much communicated with one because if he starts moving differently and slower and has to be on the run a little bit more, that's like I said, the lat is going to um, the, the lat issue uh, may resurface. Yeah, gotcha. We all have our eyes on Dak Prescott. I mean, it's the Cowboys' quarterback. He had that awful injury last year, but I think there's confidence, Mike, as you're expressing. He'll be out there. He'll probably be just fine September 9th against the Buccaneers. I, I am I concerned at quarterback in Cincinnati about Joe Burrow. Mm. About eight and a half months re, um, off of a torn ACL and the surgery that came with that. Do you think he'll be at 100%? He hasn't played in the preseason yet. Uh, is it possible to consider him at 100% when we get to early September? It should be, but we haven't seen a lot. And the, the little things that we're hearing from the head coach saying he's just not ready, um, Joe himself is saying it's a mental mental issue. Those those are the things when you start hearing those creep out and you see that in the eyes of a quarterback coming back from an injury, uh, that's concerning because there's a couple factors here, guys. Is Number one, it wasn't just an ACL. It was an ACL and an MCL. 
So when you get the MCO involved, now there's a little bit more of that side-to-side stability factor. And that's a concerning uh, issue when you come to someone with a, with a knee injury, especially someone who, as you guys both know, you're, you're stepping into oncoming traffic, that being the lead leg. Right. Him being his left leg as a right-handed quarterback. So that's a concern. So really him gaining the confidence, getting the reps that he has to do, and know he feels good. Because right now, you guys know, they're out there with a red jersey. No one's going to get anywhere near him. So if you're feeling a little skittish and uncomfortable when people are around your feet, when you're in pretty much a bubble, that's a concern when the big guys come to you, hit you for real uh, starting week one. So I, I, I think I'm a little concerned about this because I think he has to feel better and it's just not a, a thing you want to you know give him a good speech to get better. He has to get those reps with what you need to do. And right. The thing I used to do with ACL um, players with ACLs coming back from that, believe it or not, I'd, I'd work on tumbling drills and getting them used to getting on the ground and rolling and even the ground hitting it and then changing direction and landing on the ground because that's a mental hurdle. Getting ACL players, and I've rehabbed over 70 of them in the NFL, getting them to 80% is easy. That last 20%, Mm -hmm. that's the secret sauce, and that's the trick that these these guys need, especially a quarterback who's got a big target on him when he has that football in his hand uh, in that position. Again, it being its lead leg. His yeah, lead no, leg. no doubt about that. And you know, you know, he brings up the MCL thing. That's that's kind of interesting to me what you're saying there too. Because again, we look at Joe Burrow, yeah, pocket quarterback. But we talked about it so much. He's a moves slippery well. mofo, yeah. Yeah. and he moves really well. That is a big part of his game. Is just slide and move and get out of the pocket, running for ten year, ten yards. Mike, I'm with you. I'm, I've been concerned. I mean, our producer Pete Dimalitalitis will tell you. I've been texting going. I'm not sure I would play Joe Burrow week mm. one with the things I hear, what he's made comments about. Like, is there a point where somebody in your position back in the old days might have gone to like a Tom Coffin or Parcells and gone, man, this guy's got some issues and some mental issues. I don't know if we should play him week one. Does that happen, or do you just have to bow down Absolutely. to the coaches in this? Absolutely. That's really the part, an important job of the head athletic trainer is to go to bat for the players. Yeah. Because if the player's not ready, A, his performance is, is going to be horrible because he's thinking about his knees, not focused on, on the field around him. Right. Um, and, and second of all, his chance of injury really goes up. So, yeah, you have to go to bat for your, your players and, and let the coaches know and be realistic. And like I used to like to say to my players is, if you can't do it with me, a middle-aged guy on the field running around and changing directions and whatnot, and you get out in the field with 21 other guys around you, you know, you, you're in trouble. Yeah. So look at this scenario as well. Like you guys brought up a good point, and you talked about Trevor Lawrence the other night who had took that big hit. You can say, okay, you got to get down. You got to get down. Well, now you take a player who's running with the football and he's got to slide. Well, does he slide foot first with that injured knee heading right towards the oncoming player? Yeah. Good. Or does he have the confidence to tuck that knee and twist it underneath himself and slide along the ground? So simple things. That's why I like to do the tumbling with the players like this. Simple things that you say, oh, just get your ass down in the grass and. and you know, stay out of trouble, that alone is, is a scary um, thing for a player to do. So you, you got to work on those things, and you have to get a player ready to play football so he's out there focused on football, not focused on a body part. Mike, didn't didn't Mark Brunel, I'm thinking back to your time in Jacksonville, and Mark was a lefty, didn't he have right knee issues for a lot of his career and have to deal with, with some of this mental stuff we're talking about? It did. Mark, Mark had a lot of injuries. Mark had a partial ACL tear, and he had an MCL tear and a previous injury, so... He, he was a good example of someone who had to do a lot of these things to protect the knee. He played in a brace, which I assume Joe yeah. will do. Um, but, yeah, he and, he and he was great. Mark was a great guy to work with, tough as nails. But having to manage a knee like that that had some extra play to it because it was, again, 
a multiple ligament issue. Um, that, that was a big challenge for him. And he, he was a good example of a guy that you had to step back, work on things. You work really hard to get over that last hurdle to make that last 20% a successful 20%. So there's a real concern with Burrow is so, what yeah, you're saying. You're right? more concerned about him than Dak Prescott, who's got two injuries. Absolutely. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah I hear you. I'm, I'm concerned too. So Let's, uh, I mean, we can evaluate. I mean, I know I'm one that want to go, wait, that's, this is the franchise here. Yeah, let's not hurt him again. You know, just to say, oh, he's out there playing eight and a half months later. Right. Uh, I would yeah. be very cautious early on in the year. And Mike, and, we and have one, one thing more. With that, guys, uh, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. One, one thing with that, guys, is everybody kind of talks about that time frame. You know, it's a, ACL is a quarter goal, six to nine month injury. Some guys just need more time. Yeah, right. Some right. guys can do it earlier. So there's a lot there. And like I used to say, the, the player have to first and foremost has to get out there and protect himself before he worries about performance. And if Joe is having a little bit of a, a mental hurdle that he has to get over and he can't protect himself, that's the first thing that has to be uh, addressed before right. we worry about you know hitting that out route. Right. You, you mentioned it a little bit ago, Mike, but just how difficult would it be if you're the trainer in Cincinnati and you come to the conclusion this isn't right, it's not right for him to be out there at the start of the season, how do you make yourself go to the head coach and say, you know what, this is the number one pick last year, this is the one everybody's excited to see, but I'm recommending that you sit him for a while? Well, Paul, you just do it. You just sit down with the coach and have a hard talk. There were times what I used to do is, is I'd tell our video director to, hey, put a camera over in the rehab area between periods four and period eight. And I'd have them film what I was doing with those players, the, the reassessment and the moving stuff. And then I'd sit down with the coach, hey, let's look at that video. And you tell me, do you like what you see here? Right. Do you see the way this player is moving? There's a little bit skittish. He's not changing direction off the left leg like he is off the right leg. So, you know, coaches are very visual but bottom line is they're going to see it as well if you, if, if you put it in front of them and they know that the, the performance will suffer. And as, as you know, coaches, coaches want to win and they want sure. the best player on the field. And you, you can't take that franchise player and, and put them at a much higher risk especially coming back from an injury. Man, he had to go to Coughlin and Parcells to have those conversations. That was a death march. There was a couple of times, many times, I'd come back into the athletic training room after giving Coach Coughlin a, a bad update and these players would look at me and say, man, in much more colorful language, and say, man, I wouldn't want your job for all the money in the world. <laughs> yeah, right. I it, bet. Was a, it, it was a march of death, to say the least. <laughs> I, was, I, I was picturing that <laughs> no same thing. No doubt about it. <laughs> yes. What, one more quarterback to hit with you here, Mike. Carson Wentz had a, a foot procedure, foot surgery three weeks ago, practice Monday, practice Tuesday. We're shooting this on Wednesday. So he's coming off of back-to-back days of practicing. It seems like he's a little bit ahead of schedule. What's your read on, on what Carson Wentz is dealing with there? I, I think he's going to do fine with this, Paul. I think what he had is a little bit of a bone chip in the forefoot. They went in there and kind of plucked that bone out. Um, and like you said, it took three weeks to him get back in the field, but it wasn't very long. You saw him walking around the field without a boot on. He was moving well without a limp. So right there, that tells you the fact that they can be aggressive in his rehab. It was not a stability issue. So those ligaments of the forefoot get really tricky. So if you're going in there taking out a bone fragment, that there was some question about whether he had something like this since high school. And he's moving around well. you got a good stable foot. This is his left leg. So, again, unlike Dak, we talked about the pressure and the push off of that back leg. This is a left leg for a right-handed quarterback. So I, I think he's doing well. I, I expect him to see him back uh, on week one. Because, again, three weeks after the surgery, he's back on the field. And he has an additional three weeks to get ready for week one. So I think the concern here is, is minimal at his position with his injury. And I, I think he's going to do fine. Mike, how do they not catch that injury? Just, you know, why? Because you bring it up. Like, how come that's something that's not looked at or maybe removed early on in his career or whatever else? Or is it just one of those things where it's like he hasn't had a problem, so let's not mess with it? 
Uh, it, it's a good question, Chris. And I, I think if you look at it, when we look at injuries and do the x-rays and MRIs, if we had to go in and take out every little bone fragment and loose body part that's <laughs> yeah. been in joints, we, we literally line half the locker room up at the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the operating room. Because, <laughs> right. you know, if, if it's not bothering you and it's there and it's not an issue, uh, let the sleeping dog lie. Right. Yeah. Is that considered Liz Frank still, even with that? Yeah. Like, No, that's not. No. Okay. We, the Liz Frank issue, uh, like ETN, that yeah. has the issue. That, that's more of a stability issue. The, the Liz Frank is a midfoot sprain that has involved the ligaments and the stability of that forefoot. In this case, it's just a loose body part that, by the aggressive nature, the way they handled it, I do not think it was ligament-related. Okay. Mike. We wanted to hear a little more about, about the Liz Frank because yes. Travis Etienne out right. for the season. You, you explained a little bit kind of what it is. Why is it like an ACL in the sense that it's a guarantee to be out for so long? And we're looking at some pictures here, Mike. Of, you can kind of explain why it's such a serious injury. It, it's a serious injury because it's a high pressure point. You're putting a lot of pressure on that part of the, the forefoot, which is that area you can see. It's kind of like halfway down your shoelaces. And there's a collection of ligaments in those areas. All those little cluster bones are stabilized by a lot of ligaments that ligaments connect bone to bone. So when you get a sprain there and that the long bones there going to the big toe and the one going to the second toe spread apart, those ligaments are torn. So you, be, you get basically a very unstable forefoot. So every time you push off and every time you change direction, those bones want to spread apart. So with that ligament instability, it creates a lot of pain and really you become a very unfunctional kind of uh, athletes. It's, it's very similar to kind of trying to play football with no shoelaces in your shoe. That foot becomes very unstable and, and it moves a lot. So with instability, it's a real problem. So that's not some, something that you can treat aggressively. They usually go in there, they put a pin or two in there that kind of pull those bones together. Right. Got my little, got my little foot model here. Yeah, cool. So, so, so when you're looking at that foot in the area, the, the sprain, the ligaments are here all between these bones. So when those two bones spread apart, those ligaments become very unstable. So every, every time you push off that foot and change direction and twist on it, that becomes very painful in that area. So what they do is they put screws in here, usually two screws that pull those bones together and then sew up those ligaments. So because of the high stress on that area, when you have a uh, surgery on it, you really have to shut them down and let that heal very well. Gotcha. You're not, you don't have long-term concerns here or anything like that. I mean, I know it's a running back, so it's cutting and power and explosiveness is real, a real thing. But you think he bounces back from this, or what's your feeling? I think he will. I'd be a little more concerned if this was something, hey, let's try to get him back midseason, because this is something that can be a little tricky. Because if you go ahead and re-sprain those ligaments that you sewed up, now you have kind of chronic instability and and that becomes someone that just really loses a lot of power on that leg. So I think they're doing the right thing in Jacksonville with shutting them down, do the surgery, stabilize it, give them enough time to quiet down. I think if they do that, he has a very good chance. I probably have rehabbed 15 to 20 of these in the NFL, and uh, most of these do very well if you're conservative with them right up front, and that's exactly what the Jaguars are doing. Good to hear. Good, because I, I like the kid. I want him to be successful. Right? Yeah. I mean, hey, I Mike, well. you the man. We're, we're going to have Mike on consistently throughout the year. That's awesome. You know, I mean, come on. There's too many. I've been around football. You've been around football my whole life. We talk about these injuries like we know what the hell we're talking about. I was about. just we thinking don't really when, he know. Was, when he was explaining the uh, Liz Frank thing, right. I, I've used the term for 20 years. Right. I've never don't really, really know. I know. I was always like, it's a break what in the middle of the foot. It's not it's a so break. Serious. So, <laughs> yeah. Mike, I, I, again, I hate that we have to explain that Travis is out for the year. Uh, but thank you. That's uh, that cleared something up in my head. I've Definitely. had for a while. Yeah. Definitely. Well, one thing to your point, Paul, is you can have a fracture as well, and and one that had probably the first Liz Frank I saw. Chris was your 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 dad, Phil. Uh, that's right. He the Buffalo ninety. In, um, 
that would have been uh, the third to last year in that was 90, right? It was, it was a Super Bowl winning year. The year. Yeah, they lost Buffalo in the Saturday rain. Saturday game in Buffalo in the rain on a Saturday game. And right. he landed in the position where, and this is the way this out. happens yep. a lot, is you're in this position here and yeah. someone lands on the back of your heel. Right, that's what happened. So you compress it and sprain it. Right. So w- with that, you can also have a fracture. And that becomes a little bit more concerning because now obviously you have a bone that's floating around. You have to stabilize the bone. So, yeah, it's a it's a really challenging injury. And um and the kind of injury you want to treat it right, right up front. Yeah. And I think that's what the Jaguars are doing. All right, awesome. Yeah, damn, I didn't even realize my dad had Liz Frank injury. So shit, that just tells was you. Was it really a term that got used? I, I know, I didn't know. Right? I was just yeah. like, yeah, the guy fell on his foot. He broke it. I don't know. He's hurt. He can't play in the Super Bowl. Damn, I he's limping around the house. I don't know. <laughs> that's right, Mike. He, he didn't limp much. He, he 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 was tough. We all know that. Yeah, yeah. dad was yeah. tough. We'll give him that for sure. Mike, appreciate you joining us, man. And uh, yeah, so, always we'll, fun, guys. Great to see you guys, and thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll thanks, have Mike. you back Good here real soon when something hits. You the man. Forward to it. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Thanks a lot. And like it's Bye-bye. a it's a good example of how far things have come because I think I remember and you you would know this better like Phil trying to come back and play and like they were waiting to see maybe Phil will come back but now if you have a Liz Frank like it happened Monday night Travis Etienne is out for the year like there were there were plenty of days there where like hey Phil might play I know he might come back and play uh, well people thought he might but a lot of people because of Liz Frank but for a long time people would go oh he just he sprained his foot. And I always knew, I was like, no, no, there was something broken in there. I know yeah. that. My dad didn't sprain his foot. I was like, you're making him sound like he's some wimp or something. A sprained foot. He would have played. Right. But I will say to this, the next year, of course, he's asked the quarterback competition with Hostetler going into the 91 yeah. season. And I know in that training camp, his foot bothered him badly, constantly. To the point where we got to ask dad. Seven or eight months later. We got to ask dad. I, I feel like he, I, I got to remember the stories. He said something to the Giants like, I, you know, hey, I don't know if you're going to make me the starter or not, but, but I'm not, I don't feel right. Yeah. And whatever else. And he, it lingered for a little while. And it wasn't until about midway through that year or two, I think he felt like he was back to himself. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. 
Not to be overlooked, the fact that our guest had a spine and a pelvis on the wall. I know, right? And just whipped out a foot. I know. He's I mean, awesome. Come on. Mike's the man. And uh, I really, I think there's great value to have him. I hope the, the listeners enjoyed that because, yeah, I think he'll give us a good time frame, especially during the year. Right. If somebody gets an injury and we hear, oh, he's only going to be a few weeks, he might be able to put it in perspective and be like, yeah, the media is saying a few weeks. I'm telling you, this is going to be a 10 week injury Can or whatever. Help yeah. us make sense of that. Definitely. We had some Giants talk there. I want to get in that one Giants question Definitely. before Mike came on. Right. Uh, this is from Adam. At TFA, Sapoon, what's the floor and the ceiling for the New York Giants this year? Ooh, okay. Um, I don't think the floor is real low. I'm expecting the Giants to be competitive in the NFC East for sure. You know, I'm, I've kind of said. Better than Philly. Better than Philly. I'm going to say better than Dallas, too. Okay. I am. i got to see it to believe it first with Dallas. I know they're the Dallas Cowboys, and they got stars and all that and everything. We always want to give them – this hype. I got to see it. I got to see the defense be a little bit better. I got to see Dak to what Mike Ryan was just talking about, all those type of things. You know, I don't care who you are. You haven't played in a long time. You don't get to play preseason. You miss a chunk of practice. I just can't imagine him coming out the first week of the year and the second week of the year, just 400 yards, four touchdowns and playing perfect. Why The Giants, like, like Miami a little bit, like we talked about, the one thing I'll say right off the bat, like their defensive line is going to lose no battles. Their Big front dudes. seven's real. Yeah. Offensive line, I don't know, but I get the feeling like they didn't play Daniel Jones in the first two preseason mm. games because they want the offensive line to be a little bit better. Uh, but I, I still think, I think at the end of the day, I look at the Giants' ceiling, just getting in the playoffs, maybe as this, you know, a six or a seven seed, or maybe winning the division and being that you know division winner. Uh, floor, I don't. I just. I don't know. I don't envision disaster. Not with the way Joe Judge manages football games. I always thought last year, even when they lost games, I went, you know, they lost, but they weren't the better team, so they were supposed to lose. They played the game the right way. The plan, the approach was the right way, and that's why they upset some teams. That's why they hung around. Tampa Bay to late late in the game and why they beat the Seattle Seahawks they weren't as good as them but he like Belichick knows wait we got to play this way this mm-hmm. week if we want our best chance to win the game so you know I think the, the the floor I would just say is like you know just uh okay maybe seven and ten all right I'm still getting used to that shit but seven <laughs> and ten something like that that's that I don't think it's going to be a disaster by any stretch of the and imagination for the ceiling would you flip that Ten and seven is yeah, good as exactly it could be. right. Like ten and seven, you know, yeah, right around that. You know, maybe an eleven and six if they pull some game or two potential out of their, playoff team. Right, I think they're right there on the cusp. I yeah. do. Um, you know, of course, we need to see Daniel Jones be a little yeah. bit better. Jason Garrett's got to help him out. Hopefully, Saquon can be healthy. But uh, I, there's things to like about the Giants football team. Well, preseason has been giving us plenty of things to, to kick around and talk about. Damn, here. I know. We didn't even get through it all today. We got so much shit we could talk about. We so, could do it again tomorrow. Yeah, we really could. I mean, uh, but we're not. We're going to wait till <laughs> Monday, okay? All right. So, everybody, though, keep sending in these questions. I love these questions. There's so many. I think we'll probably do another AMA next week just because it allows us to hit so many different topics around the league and hit on things that I want to talk about that we just haven't got to. And with you guys, the listeners, the viewers out there, yeah. when you bring them. Good are great. They they're great, yeah. and Pete wants to get the. We all want to get you guys involved. So Pete just uh, gave me some breaking it. news. What's uh, what's that? Joe Burrow going to get some snaps in the final preseason game? Yes. Okay. Okay. Zach Taylor says limited number of snaps. He has not played in the previous two preseason games. So 
We'll see him out there. Good. Like, we got to see him out there, right? You know, because if he looks like really uncomfortable, he needs to see. He needs to. I mean, he needs to see himself out there. That's He's what I mean. Feel it. They yeah. got to be careful here. They got to. They got to make sure they don't mess his career up and all their careers up by by rushing this out there too quickly. Another breaking story. Just as we go off the air, they did name Trevor Lawrence the starter down there over Gardner Minshew. We expected. Yeah. We thought that might happen. I knew he was better than Gardner Minshew. We just. We talked about the, there's a decent there's a argument to be made, though, that you know Gardner yeah. could have or maybe should have started, but it's no surprise. I, I think the thing I came away from in the Monday night game, just listening to the announcers, you know, and I said this to Mike on Tuesday morning, it's, they know Trevor's better than Gardner Minshew. They just don't want to put Trevor out there in an absolute disaster where they mm. can't protect him and do the things and end up in Joe Burrow land that we talked about. Right. Urban Meyer talked to Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow said, run the ball and, do, and get the ball out of the quarterback's hand quick, which he's going, I wish they fucking did that with me. <laughs> so he's very conscious of that. And, of course, Coach Joe Burrow at Ohio State right. before he went to LSU. So, uh, yeah, there's our breaking news. Stay out. Stay out. Uh, stay safe out there. You know, keep sending the questions, positive, negative, whatever. We'll hit it on, hit it on all work. of it. Yeah. Paulie B., you the man. Good to see you. Way to drive the ship. And uh, peace out. We'll see you on Monday. See you. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.